I think one of the fruits of uh, the particular combination that we're bringing together in these three days, that is a Buddhist practice and the nonviolence coming out of Gandhi and King, is that there's a chance really to more fully integrate the depth of inner practice with the outward action. And I think this was implicit in the work of Gandhi and King. And so, but it's not, not always so well known. In fact, I think there was a recent book uh, that Michael Nagler put through. Michael Nagler, some of you, how many know Michael Nagler? He was the founder of uh, peace studies, peace and conflict studies at UC Berkeley in the 1970s. And he's been uh, a writer, has written quite a few books. You can see some of his books on the resource list. He lives in this area. Paloma. Yeah. And, and um, is connected these days, especially with an organization called the Meta. Is it Meta Association? The Meta Center for Nonviolence. Meta Center for Nonviolence. And they put on a lot of programs. I think his classes in nonviolence for UC Berkeley are in, uh, on YouTube in their entirety. I didn't put that on the resource list. I didn't, but no, a no. lot of people have learned a lot and been inspired by that. Yeah, series. so there's some great, great resources. And um, so he put out a book on some of Gandhi's inner practices. I think it's called Vows and Observances. I think also not on our, not on our list. But, um, you know, there were, there were some forms of traditional meditation, but not always described in much detail. And of course, Dr. King used uh, Christian prayer. Uh, again, not a lot of detailed descriptions of what to do. So one of the potentials, I think, that we're pointing to is making use of the tremendous level of uh, detail and depth and refinement that we find with Buddhist meditative practices as a natural complement to what we were looking at this morning especially. And I wanted to just to name a few areas and then work a little bit further, particularly with uh, some of the heart practices. But, but I was thinking just of the different areas and their relationship to uh, nonviolence training. Uh, you know, yesterday we, we worked with uh, empathy practice and I introduced uh, the sense of there being quite a few what we call heart practices, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. And we looked also at the aspects of the mindfulness practice and some of the wisdom teachings, the two arrows teaching, looking at reactivity. I started to hint, we didn't really go into too much depth, that the teachings on uh, reactivity that we have from the Buddhist tradition particularly look at ways to um, see reactivity and not um, continue it. But there's also that sense that we started to look at, I think, uh, yesterday, that uh, a lot of our reactivity can be connected with valid insight and deep values. And that makes it a little trickier, right? That we talk about, we can talk about anger, where Kazu and I were talking a little bit, you talk about anger. My experience is when I look deeply at anger, I often find uh, some kind of pain, and often beneath the pain there's love. And a number of commentators have talked about, like when you go deeply into anger, there's love. And so, what would it be, huh? There's what? Love. 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 
and and that's to be discovered. Uh, but one of the uh, powers of uh, Buddhist meditation practice is that we can actually give guidelines for working with difficult emotions more with that sense of transformation than of simply let's stop that, get rid of it, right? And that, you know, I mentioned in the case of the judgmental mind, there's often very clear discernment. And I sometimes talk about the judgmental mind as, in many cases, not all, clear discernment coupled with reactivity. In other words, there's something unpleasant. I have an insight, let's say, into injustice. There's some way I don't like it. And so that insight gets linked with reactivity, which can not always be so fruitful. It's possible to do transformative work so you preserve the insider discernment into injustice, but you work through the reactivity so that you come more out of compassion and love. I think that's actually the deep motivation that you find with Gandhi and King. But, but we don't necessarily have clear mechanisms, and correct me if, if you have a different sense of it, but my sense is that with the contributions of Buddhist practice, we have some very clear ways to develop mindfulness, to develop insight into reactivity, and to work in a transformative way with difficult emotions. Imagine if that was part of the training of all people involved in nonviolence. That'd be quite something. And I was also, so we have a few different areas. We have the mindfulness, we have the insight practice, we have transformative work with difficult emotions, actually different difficult body states, different difficult mind states. And we also, we also have um, the different heart practices, which again, I'll go into more detail on metta in a moment, but we have a number of heart practices that really cultivate kindness cultivate the kind heart in different manifestations as loving kindness, a general goodwill and kindness that you can bring as your default way of being in the world. Compassion, which is more the capacity to tune in to one's own or another person's pain and actually have that kind of empathic resonance along with the wish to help along with the wish to respond skillfully. We have other practices. Tomorrow we'll work with forgiveness. There are a whole set of practices that we could name. You know, in addition, there could be gratitude, joy practice, and so forth. They're quite, quite a family. Um, when I do like a seven-day retreat on transforming the judgmental mind, I bring in seven different heart practices that are part of the repertoire for working skillfully with that aspect of mind. And I was also thinking that there's uh, a further kind of uh, practice. I think that, that, in a way, all of this points towards the towards developing what we might call awakened awareness, the quality of an awakened mind, heart, and body. And those kind of experiences let one know, in a certain way, the unity of life. You know, experiences, we can call them experiences of awakening. And they're actually, I think we don't understand them well in much of our approaches to Buddhist practice. I think they're actually pretty accessible. They're hard, you know, they're, hard, they're, they're fairly accessible just for a few moments. To have them be stable 
and guiding one's life all the time, not so easy. All the time. That's like a Buddha. <laughs> but for much of the time, I think it's actually more accessible than we think. And these experiences can be cultivated of what we can call awakened awareness. And they give one a sense of going beyond the limited sense of self to something much larger and even approaching the infinite. And that's an accessible experience. And when one has access to that experience, one is living hopefully on a daily basis, the basis for believing, having faith in the beloved community. So these meditative practices can be very, very crucial for understanding, for, of course, being with difficult experiences, but also having a kind of ongoing training every day that's more or less moving one towards wisdom, kindness, the ability to work with, uh, to develop um, kindness even for difficult people and so forth. So this is um, that's sort of for me a framing and pointing towards a potential which I think is just at the beginning of being realized. You know, what would it be like if that curriculum which I just named went along with the curriculum that Kazu has outlined, right? That's to me some of the potential of the, the next period of time. And um, it's a natural. And I think that that's, again, much of the motivation for us uh, sort of combining forces, is that, that, kind of, that kind of vision. So I wanted to say a little bit more uh, about, um, about metta, and then we'll do the practice. Loving kindness practice. How many of you are pretty familiar with metta? So most of you, how many are not so familiar with metta? Okay. Metta is a word in the Pali language that generally is usually translated as loving kindness, but it's probably better translated as warm, expansive friendliness. <laughs> it's actually closer to the meaning, the, the root meaning of metta has to do with words that connote friend, friendship and friendliness. But, and I, I often, I, I was, um, sort of this was pointed out by one of my colleagues, uh, Anushka Fernandapola, who uh, pointed out that in most cultures, other than the current one, often the most uh, significant relationships were friendships. Now it's all about, what, romantic relationships, right? That's kind of the center. That, that's really recent and really rare <laughs> in human culture. Um, and friendship and that sense of warmth and kindness and connection with others has been much more central in many cultures. If you look at some, you know, go back and look at different cultures, texts about what's important in human relationships, friendship is very, very central as a quality. So I think that's kind of maybe the context that metta comes out of. And it's a, uh, what, we, what we actually have in loving-kindness practice, as I mentioned yesterday, I think, is a systematic way actually to develop kindness in the heart, mind, and body. And to do that uh, systematically, right? We can all say, I want to be loving, I want to be kind. Amazing that there's an actual practice which when you do it, makes you more kind. 
that you can do. And so I, I mentioned that we have at our loving-kindness retreats, we have people from many different religious traditions come because there aren't those kind of systematic trainings in other traditions, even though, you know, plenty of loving people, right? And they come because they want something that's more of a regular practice. And so the, the loving-kindness practice, I guess I should give out, I should give out the handout. Maybe as that handout's going around, we can pass on the other handout to that. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we need maybe uh, one, two, do this. Let me do this one a little bit, the other one a little bit later. bring those back up when you're finished. Okay, thank you. So we have the instructions for forgiveness on one side and loving kindness, the, the uh, way of working with it. Um, so loving kindness is the systematic practice that really is essentially remembering the intention to summon kindness. And we develop it first where it's easiest. That's the idea. Again, that's really a, a principle of training. We'll see in the uh, film later this afternoon when we see the film of Nashville nonviolence trainings that this is the basis for role plays, that you develop role plays before you go to the actual situation. So you practice the capacity. Loving kindness, you develop the quality of kindness where it tends to flow the best, and then you gradually bring it out into situations which are not as easy. So you start by working with loving kindness for someone who's really dear to you, and it can kind of go pretty easily. And eventually you bring it to, as you can see in the uh, sequence, you bring it to uh, benefactor, dear friend, and then eventually to people towards whom you were orig uh, originally neutral, and then to difficult people. And so this very much connects with the whole approach of nonviolence, where there is an aspiration, as we saw with the uh, Gandhi clip, to actually not have hatred in one's heart towards one's oppressors. Right? Or, as uh, King used to repeatedly say, I want to, we want to work with the admonition from Jesus to love your enemies. That's, again, that's kind of advanced practice, but that's definitely where this goes. And metta practice goes in the same direction. It starts with developing warmth and kindness where it's easiest, and then it can bring it to be present with people who are difficult. Eventually, the teaching is you bring it to all beings. And I thought I'd just play a little clip. I wanted to bring the voice of Dr. King in. And there's a clip that I have of him 
This is, I think, this is from uh, a little-known sermon that he gave. I think he gave it in Atlanta. It's, and it was called On Judging. And I was interested in it because I was working on the judgmental mind. This is Dr. King talking about, you know, Jesus saying, judge not lest you be judged and so forth. And Dr. King gives a 25-minute sermon. And my sister was in Atlanta and went to the King Center and thought I might like a gift and went in the gift shop and she found that just in a little basket a sermon on, on judging. Well, that, that's for him. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just a little excerpt. This is King... Uh, this is from uh, 1967, and he's talking about having traveled and done campaigns in Chicago and Cleveland, which were actually, in some ways, quite a bit harder than the campaigns in the South. Uh, and so this is him talking about coming to Cleveland and interacting with someone who originally, initially was very hostile to him. So listen to this. Start our movement, which we're going to get started next week. They had a brother there who is the leader of the nationalists, the black nationalists of Cleveland, and he had announced the date for the riot to take place. First time I'd ever seen a the date set for a riot. But Brother Ahmed announced the date for the riot. They had planned that they were going to run me out of town, that they were not going to hear anything about nonviolence, that if I came to Cleveland, they were going to run me out. So they were set to run me out of town. But when I got to Cleveland, I had a lot of speeches around the high schools and a number of other places. And I decided that I was going to ride on over to Huff and meet with Mr. Ahmed and his fellows. And I They were ready to run me out. I didn't open my speech by criticizing them or judging them. I didn't stand up self-righteously and say, I'm non-violent and you are violent. You believe in uh, riots and you're killing the Negro race and hurting the cause of civil rights. I didn't start out like that. I started out saying to Mr. Armand, I understand your frustration. I understand your bitterness. I understand what you've gone through. I understand why you're reacting like you're reacting. And I put my arms around Brother Ahmed, and pretty soon Brother Ahmed had his arms around me. And I had my press conference the next day, and who was sitting at the press table but Mr. Ahmed? And the press said, now, Dr. King has talked about nonviolence, and he's talked about the movement that they're going to have here in Cleveland. Mr. Arnold, since you believe in violence, what do you have to say about what Dr. King just said? He said, I want you to know I agree with him, and he's my leader, too. If I had gone in there, cursing out Mr. Arnold, if I had gone in judging and criticizing Mr. Arnold, Mr. Armand would have been permanently separated from me. This is what Jesus is saying. Judge not for in your judging. You may judge yourself to be unkind, unsympathetic, unfeelingful, unable to see the problems of others. And that Maybe we'll play the whole 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so just that uh, 
brought into practice, right? That, that sense of bringing that warmth and kindness as a, a way of operating in a very hard situation. And so our meta-train practice is a training. And it's something that can develop. And um, again, most of you know this practice. So I'll just, I'll just be brief, then we'll do a period of practice. And, and if necessary, if we, I think we should have a little bit of time also for uh, discussion. So uh, the practice itself, as most of you know, is done by the silent internal repetition of phrases in the main way that we teach it. And it can actually be done in a few other ways, but I won't get into so much complexity here. The main way that we do it is the internal repetition of phrases which tend in our own minds to evoke a sense of warmth or kindness. And so we would start out typically directing phrases, something like, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy or as healthy as possible, may you live with ease. Those are the traditional phrases and we give a lot of room to use phrases which particularly work for you. So you could say, may you be free, or you don't have to use may you. You could just say, use a word like, think, you think of a person, and then you bring the word in safe. Could be like that. Or you could say, may you be safe. Or whatever words really click for you. And typically, in the, in the tradition, the, it was thought 2,600 years ago that the easiest person, her being, to bring warmth and kindness to was oneself. We have had to modify the teachings at this time in history. <laughs> and so for some people that can work, for many people it doesn't work so well. So we say, find the one towards whom you can bring a sense of warmth and kindness and it flows the best. So it might be, so we have two Traditionally, we have two figures, one called the benefactor, which is like a, typically a teacher, mentor, elderly relative, or generally some being, doesn't have to be a human being, who is a force for good. Some people use pets. It could be a, you know, a niece or nephew or a, a young one, towards whom you bring this person to mind, and it's just, ah, oh, this person, just be well. You know. And, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking, this is really, we kind of get the love and kindness energy going by using a phrase like, may you be happy. And we think of this four-year-old bundle of joy. <laughs> and we just do that uh, repeatedly. We typically go through four phrases. And again, you can modify them. You could do something which is meaningful to you. Someone, may you be free. May you be a person of integrity or whatever it is. You, know, you can make it up yourself or use the traditional, one of the traditional phrases which are around happiness, safety, health, and uh, the last one is called ease of well-being, which doesn't mean that everything's easy. <laughs> it means that whatever happens, may you have as much ease as possible. That's more the, more the idea. Uh, and so typically here we'll just we'll just go with maybe uh, invite you to think of two figures other than yourself thinking of whom it brings energy and towards whom it's easy to evoke a sense of kindness and so uh, 
typically the benefactor would be a teacher or mentor, someone who's just been a force for good. Now these are relationships that are non-complex, just almost entirely positive. You know, and the dear friend usually is more of a peer, but this could be just someone that we bring to mind and we have very positive feelings for. That's the idea. Um, and also, give it, give it, I'll, I'll come back and do a little bit of time just with the self as well. But any, or maybe I should just say that the way we practice it would be something like this. I would choose uh, a particular being, maybe, uh, you know, you don't have to choose exactly someone who fits the category of benefactor. For purposes here, just choose two beings towards whom you feel warmth. And how many of you already have your metta practice where you have being figures that you relate to? Okay, quite quite a few of you. Okay, so you can just do as do as you see fit. And for others, it would be just have two figures. One of them could be uh, someone who could be a mentor, but someone just toward, towards whom you feel warmth. And then a second being towards whom you feel warmth. Doesn't have to be a human being. Okay, so choose two like that. And then what one would do would be something like this. If, you, if it's helpful to you, it's, it can be useful to have an image of the person, her being. You bring that to mind. If you, you know, a very helpful technique is to actually touch the heart, have your hand on your heart. And then you would say the phrase, may you be happy. And then you let there be a little bit of a pause and you come back this is all silent, then you come back with the second phrase. May you be safe. You're doing the same sequence of having the image of the person. And if, you, if it works for you to have the hand on the heart or feel the heart energy, say the phrase, let there be a little bit of a pause. And you come back and the third phrase might be, may you be healthy or as healthy as possible. Again, before you say it, have the image and so forth. And then you might have the fourth phrase. We find it helpful to have four phrases rather than just one or two, just to bring different nuances in. The fourth one might be, may you have ease of well-being. Again, you could have the image first and then say it, have there be a little bit of a pause. And then we go back to phrase number one. Okay? And then go right, we go one, two, three, four. So basically you're just repeating the phrases, but letting there be some feeling in the heart, if you can, because the phrases are means to an end. They're phrases that want to evoke the sense of warmth and kindness. So we want to remember the phrases are not the center, they're the means to the end. Okay, and we want to, what we're looking for is that feeling of warmth. And one other thing to say is that the practice of metta is really coming as best we can with the intention to evoke warmth or kindness. And then we let whatever happens happen. It's really an intention practice. We're inclined and sometimes our heart might be closed and sometimes it's open. I like to say that loving kindness practice like this is an intention practice, not a production practice. We are not sitting here saying, all right, Donald, I will generate love right now. That's really actually not how it is. It's more like I'm inclining in that direction and then I let whatever happens happen. 
because some of this practice also has aspects of purification. We're aspiring towards kindness and love, and what sometimes comes up is what's in the way of it. And that's normal. Right? And so we, we want to just incline in that way, and then we let whatever happens, happen. Okay? Any questions before we do the practice for a little while? Yeah? Are you doing, uh, like, envisioning the neutral or difficult person? No, we won't do that for right now. We're just going to start where it's easy. Maybe tomorrow the difficult person. And if you do this at home, remember that when we do retreats and training in this, again, the basic principle is you don't go to the hardest thing. When we actually do the difficult person, we disappoint a lot of people by saying, on a scale of one to ten, choose someone who's four or five. You feel a collective groan. Oh, I want to, to finally deal with that number ten. So, anyway, so if you do it on your own, you know, do it that way. Okay. Any other questions before we before we practice a little bit? Okay. And just take a comfortable posture, as much as possible with the back erect. Again, it can help uh, if you're visual to visualize the person. If you're more somatic, you might have a sense of what it's like when the person is in your, you know, when you share a space with the person. Maybe a more somatic or embodied sense of the person's presence. But that can help to make it more alive, as does feeling the heart can help, help it be more embodied. And just go through the phrases, the I be. May, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy or as healthy as possible. Probably a little more slowly than that, but I'll just let you do this at your own pace now. So just starting with one person, then I'll let you know when to shift to a second.
Now shifting to a second being. Continuing with the same practice, but with a different, a different one.
Now just taking a few minutes bringing loving kindness to yourself. And if for any reason this feels like a, a wall or just too hard, then you can stay with one of the two beings that we've already worked with. But give a little bit of a, a chance to explore uh, loving kindness for self, which uh, for many of us will flow okay. Have a little bit of time if there are any questions about that practice, either about the doing of it, the uh, technique, or or anything else. Uh, please. Um, I found you, you said we can touch our heart. Yeah. That word 
through the line, whatever, on and off for many years, mm -hmm. and find effective for me. Yeah. But the, the loving kindness. Yeah. Loving kindness. But when you said that touched the heart, it works for me. That's great. So thank you. Thank you, that, that working. What, what we have found is that because, uh, again, there are some other forms of doing loving kindness. Some of them are more embodied and, and energetic, which, which I personally use those a lot. Uh, but the, the work with the phrases, because it's using words, it can, especially when we're beginning it, be a little bit overly verbal. That's why we bring in a few correctives, like the hand on the heart, or being aware of the heart, and the visualization, which bring in a little more emotion and embodiment. That's important. Thank you. That's what we have found quite important. Yeah, thanks. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Just in a short time, it worked. Mm -hmm. 20 years not working. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, please. Can you send Meta to somebody that's deceased? Can you send Meta to someone who's deceased? Because uh, when I was thinking of benefactor, I was thinking Yeah, of right, right. For a lot of us, especially as you get older, the benefactors, they've got older too. <laughs> right, and so traditionally, it's interesting, coming from you know, a culture which believes in rebirth, uh, traditionally the guidance was to actually pick someone who's alive. Um, that is in the traditional uh, instructions. Uh, that being said, I think it, uh, there are a few ways to go with that. One of them, it depends on your belief system. If you have a sense of uh, the, the being in some sense still being present, either through rebirth or some other, other way, and in, in other words, it's meaningful to you uh, to <coughs> use uh, phrases like health and happy and so forth, then you can do that. You could also um, have it be more like gratitude practice, which still really evokes the heart. That would be the kind of the most straightforward way to do it. Don't get into questions of belief system and so forth. You just touch the gratitude that you have for this person, and that's in the present moment, right there for you. You know, in gratitude practice, you can simply do it in a very simple way, just to be with the person and say, I'm and just let spontaneously your mind go, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for this, something like that. Or it can be a practice that you do generally in terms of one's life, maybe just have a, write down five or 10 things you're grateful for and look at them for five or 10 minutes every day. That actually can be quite effective. Yeah, thanks. Okay, well we want to again, uh, have a walking period. Uh, about, uh, let's come back at uh, five to three. Um, Kazu and I have this continual attempt to go both I go. We're totally fine. We're, we're, we're five to three. We, we go with. We both want to go with the flow, but we want to more or less get get what we have yeah, intended done. So no, that's actually cutting a little bit just for the sake of. I, yeah. Whatever you, I think we can make up a lot of time in the next session, so okay. however you feel. Could it be okay to go to three? Yeah. Okay, so an expansive walking meditation. <laughs> so we'll go, we'll go till three, have the bell rung at five to three. And so it's a little less than 20 minutes for walking. Again, if you feel like sitting, 
Uh, that'd be fine, or some combination. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.